Opponents have always felt that the salaries that the clubs pay players are crazy and unrealistic. The word we have tried to use so many times. We have tried not to use so many times, but we have to use again. Shame on you. This is Sports 360. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sports 360 Podcast Season 3. We'd like to thank you for joining us. Uh, it's been great having you on the podcast for the first two seasons, and this season promises to be an exciting one as we look forward to an exciting football season uh, coming to an end in May. We have a special for you in the month of May. We'll tell you about it subsequently on um, subsequent podcasts. For now, the African continent has started on a football note and I bring my co-presenters here today, Yemi Adesoya and Bodhi Ogutu is joining us via Skype. Um, gentlemen, after all said and done, African Nations Cup is up and running. A lot of talk, a lot of disrespect, in my view, from particularly Europe, from some big names in football, a lot of um, shenanigans, trying to get the competition postponed, trying to get um, it moved, trying to get it probably outrightly cancelled. But here we are. The competition has started, Yemi, and um, like we saw last night, it started on a good note for Nigeria as well. Yeah, the competition started very well. Um... It's interesting that, you know, all the shenanigans and the attempts, particularly from Europe, trying to uh, stop the tournament or get it postponed or uh, stop players from attending. And then you find out that uh, the likes of Sky Sports and BBC have paid good money yeah, to for the TV rights. Uh, so, it's, so they do realize that there are a lot of eyeballs on it. You know, within their continent that will be looking and watching the AFCON. But then there's a bit of selfishness from the clubs as well. Uh, we have documentary issues like Imana Dennis from Nigeria mm. who Watford refused to release claiming uh, it was a late invitation. They tried to hold on to Ismailessa but the Senegalese said no. So the AFCON is probably the most undermined most ridiculed tournament, but it has started on a good note. Um, at least the hosts have gotten off to a flyer. Mm. This got his first three points. Uh, probably not the best football yet, but we always know that the first games are always very cagey. Yeah. And from a Nigerian perspective, we probably saw the best performance uh, from the Super Eagles in about maybe four years or thereabouts. Mm. Okay, uh, we'll get to the Super Eagles in a minute, buddy. What do you make of all the drama uh, as we approach the Nations Cup? Uh, well, I think uh, all that has been sorted. Um, of course, the, the, most of the drama was caused by the by the, by the hosts themselves, with the inability to get things going, uh, to get the venues ready, to get uh, all, all the artists, uh, all, all the artists crossed and their eyes dotted. Remember that. Um, uh, even though they were meant to host it, they were meant to have, to have hosted this tournament um, a couple of years back, it's still been postponed. And even as much as COVID and the postponement helped them in food, we still had issues of um, some, some venues being, uh, being uh, uh, not ready until, until the hours before the event. So that, I think, added, added more to the drama. Than all the all the other other, other things co- combined, of course, the threat of violence 
from uh, from uh, from uh, armed armed groups also um, added to be to be to tournament stories, and then for some people, journalists especially, the difficulty in getting to the venue or venues. And um, we always say that one of the biggest drawbacks for an African tournament when when you are trying in Africa is that it's difficult. The logistics are very very difficult. It's easier to get to you sadly than to get to some African countries. And that's also added to the drama, as it were, as the tournament uh, approves. But, like I said, thank God all, all that is over. Thank God we, 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 we've gotten to what all of us have been waiting for, the football. Um, so, uh, it, 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 look, it, it, I think it's, it's an African thing. I, I think it's only, uh, only the North Africa. Even, even some part of North Africa, to which the tournament, there are the stories, there are the drama before the event. Uh, but like I said, thank God all, all that is behind us and we are, we are now enjoying the football. I hear what Bode says, I mean, about some of the logistical issues uh, we have in Africa, particularly travel. Because um, we hear that um, Nigeria plays, played match, we will play in Garua and uh, you have to get to Garua. If you have to get to Garua by road, it's a 22-hour drive. Some guys posted that they spent 32 hours on the road. That's um one and a half days. You can imagine how tiresome that kind of journey is. So, that's that. But do you also get the feeling that, you know, despite the fact that logistical uh, issues are are there, that the European club sides, the attitude to the tournament, you you may, you alluded to it about their service, which, which is understandable. But, you know, the issue is that asking Africa to move that tournament from January is hypocritical because the movie to June, July is in the seat of the rainy season and it is not realistic. Now, even FIFA moved the World Cup as big as it was to a convenient time weather-wise in, in Qatar. Right bang in the middle of the European season. So, I don't think that argument should even crop up in the first place. Africa, we can't play that Nations Cup in June, July because of the torrential rainfall in most parts of Africa at that time, I, I realize it's not all parts of Africa that have yeah. at that time, but majority of African countries are in the summer at that time, and it is serious, heavy rainfall. So, should there still be a discussion about moving this? Or should Africa even consider it? Because it looks like calf, at times, this calf is, for me, is a bit weak, yeah, and they are easily, uh, easily malleable. Yeah, easily malleable, easily managed, easily swayed. Um, is my pleasure? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that. Um, I think first and foremost, a school of thought believes that you know if we continue to have the tournament in January, it will discourage European clubs from signing African players. And I said, come, we've been doing this tournament for as long as I can remember, and the growth rate of African, of players, African players moving to European continues to increase. Why? Because there's value in purchasing an African player in terms of it's cheaper, it's you know small, it's, it's less expensive. It's a, a, a shop window for you to yeah, source other players. Other players. So that is not a, an acceptable uh, argument. Argument. The second one is that hey, we're in 2022 for crying out loud. Africa's infrastructure should be better designed to handle the weather. You know that we should prepare for better drainages to handle the rainfall. And I go back and I say, okay, why does Germany 
go on a one-month winter break. Thank you. The reason is purely because of the weather. Because it's increasingly cold in between December and January. So they take that one-month break because they can't play in the harsh cold conditions. So why should we be the ones to change that? Then secondly, if you put the competition in June, July, it's going to be competing with probably the Copa America, the Euros in certain instances, mm-hmm. you know, whatever competition. Why don't we have, just leave our own time where we can be the focus of, of the, the world. entire world and have the world watching Africa football exclusively, even though the leagues are still going on. So I think, keep it as it is, it is our own spectacle. It is our own mini World Cup. Leave it as is. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And just ignore the noise coming out of Europe and what have you. And let's just keep it as it is. Okay. Let's go to the football now that we have seen so far. Um, but it, it does look to me like the quote and unquote, I don't mean it in a disrespectful manner. The so-called smaller countries are really, really, um, coming up to speed. Senegal struggled, needed a 97th minute penalty. Some have said controversial, um, to beat, uh, Zimbabwe. Um, uh, which other country is that Algeria. now? Um, Algeria couldn't beat Sierra Leone, although we have history with Sierra Leone as well. <laughs> Was it not the team that 4 0 to 4 4? <laughs> so Sierra Leoneans are proving to be t- tough customers. Malawi only succumbed to a one goal loss to, I think it was Gabon. Guinea. Uh, to Guinea. And then I'm trying to remember there's one other country that, Comoros. Comoros. Only lost Comoros. by one goal. You know, so you find out that the established countries are finding it difficult to blow away the so-called lesser countries. Is that a positive? For now. For now, yes. For so, now, far. so far. For so now, far, so far, yes. It's a positive. Yes, for now, it's, it's a positive because, um, um, like you said, Serenos uh, served, served all of us a warning mm. with their display against the Super Eagles. I remember that even the return that the Eagles won, it wasn't uh, handed over. That victory wasn't handed over. The Eagles really had to battle for it. Um, the fact they they that they because it was even a draw, but they draw. We like drew I away. Said, well, yeah, it, was, it was a draw. Yeah. It was a draw, yes. I remember it was a draw. And uh, like I said about the Falcons several years ago, bringing the rest of Africa. Lots of African teams are now exporting talent, and even though, uh, and even though uh, you, 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 you may argue that a lot of them they have players that play the lower leagues, but they are exposed to the same, uh, uh, the same, um, the same uh, uh, training methods, the same tactics. And in the same living conditions as they are, as, as the better paid players, as it were. And hey, if you can build a team, it doesn't matter the grade. If you can still discipline your team, you will get what you want because a team, most times, is not the sum of its parts. A team is how you forge it. A team, a team, a team, a team turns up the way you forge it. And I'm not surprised, but, but on, one, on one hand, on the other hand, like Yemi, Yemi mentioned, the first games, or, or is it the first games are usually key. I do not think that we get the same results that you have seen 
some of these matches. If these same teams manage to get to the latter stages and they face the same opponents, the first games, a lot of players are, of years, they've been in the country for a while, but it's their first game at the tournament. They're not used to the tough. The weather bothers them. They're not fully acclimatized as it were. But as, as, the competition, as the competition goes on, I can imagine that if they alone are facing Algeria in the game that the Algeria today they win to qualify, they probably will see a different result. Probably would. And I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it is certain that you would. But like, 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 like you said, it's in the first game. Lot of, I expect that the second and third games will be more fierce and the results will be, will be, will be different. Now, Egypt, for instance, they now have their backs to the wall. Mm. They have lost their first game. I don't think I'm going to see a five-five-zero formation like <laughs> like we saw in the first game against Nigeria. They probably will change something. So, uh, um, kudos to the to the uh, to the minus in quotes. Um, look, every, everybody's coming to play, and they are playing. And I think it's a credit to the tournament because the and I know that most times, first because of the especially after the the uh, the numbers were more numbers were added to the tournament. I seldom watch first round games in, in, in AFCON. In fact, in most tournaments, I just glance, I just keep three. I wait, I wait on the second round or the third games of the, of the third round when there is something at stake yeah. before I start watching. But this one, from the get go, everybody has showed up and long, long may it continue. You know, to be fair, Yemi, even the World Cup, because of the expanded format, there are some really drab mm-hmm. first games in the World Cup, some really, really ball fest of football games. So, but, 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 but it's made a good point about, um, and I think you alluded to that as well. KG starts, and then the first games, most of these teams are uh, adrenaline pumping up and running and all of that. When it gets to points where, um, teams know what they need to do to qualify, maybe a team needs to score three clear goals and all that, things might be different. But let's focus on the Super Eagles performance now against Egypt and, um, I'd always felt like under Gennard Raw, we had lost the true essence of Nigerian football, which was the power, the pace, the aggression, the physicality. I mean, the, the way we dominate other teams physically and they play to our true strengths, playing from the flanks, you know, clamping down the middle and all of that. But maybe because Eguavon played through that system from playing locally to the Super Eagles to going abroad and all of that, I think what he simply did was just brought back, I don't want to use the word DNA because he always goes to my you and all this other DNA stuff, but it's like he went back to the basics of Nigerian football. What we saw against the Egyptians was typical, in my own view, typical Nigerian football with a bit of flair, a bit of what we call swag locally, and it was really, we don't want to get carried away, but that was as impressive a performance as I've seen from the Super Eagles in a number of years, you hear me, against Egypt. First of all, it was very refreshing. Mm. Um, to watch the Super Eagles. Uh, I'm not sure about the game Super Eagles have played in the last few years where I stayed glued to the TV from the first minutes till you know, <clears throat> to the referee blew the final whistle. <laughs> you normally slept off or what? Probably slept <laughs> off, switch, switch the station to something else, the channel, okay. and then come back. But this one, I, I was, you know, I, I paid attention all through. And one of the first things that impressed me, even though at first, when I saw the lineup, I, I actually tweeted lineup disappointing mm. because I wanted to see something, something different. a bit different, mm. you know. But the lineup seemed like what you would get from Guinea Raw. 
So, but what, 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 what happened was he showed me that, look, yes, the lineup is more or less the same. However, the attitude and the application was different. different. Mm. First thing that stuck out was depressed. Yes, I have people who know I actually have my issues with pressing, but they showed that they had that power, the zeal and the aggression mm. to yeah. go at the Egyptians. So whether we were on the ball or off the ball, we were able to go at them. Secondly, we used our width. It's a strong element of, our of Nigerian football. And we used it to good effect. And our players did step up. So when we were even worried about us, because every that segment of the game, you would have a bit of confidence. But defensively, was where everybody was. But our guys too strong. They were very compact. They were, the attackers, they didn't miss their tackles. They were well calculated. And then how compact they were, even when they lost the ball. Even when, I'm, I'm not sure the guys lost the ball aimlessly mm. for extended periods of time during the game. Now, of course, let's not just say that everything was all positive. Negatives for me, two negatives. And I think it's something that we need to work on. Because we use inverted wingers, I think it's important. And I do also, on the flip side, understand why that thing happened. That's what, what I'm saying is, I feel that when you use inverted wingers, you need to have your fullbacks have to play a critical role in the attacking phase mm. in coming forward. I didn't see much of that until the second half when Zenus Alusi probably felt probably a lot more comfortable. comfortable yeah. I, I think the first half he felt, I can't, I can't, I can't be too adventurous too because, because I have Musala to about yeah. yeah. So that's one. Two, the changes. I felt that at the point where Egypt were now supposedly in the ascendancy, the changes we made took away some of the aggression okay. in terms of how we pressed them and how we, you know, were aggressive, especially in midfield. So okay. I think those are two critical points that they need to look at. But, um, you know, usually when the Super Eagles play, you, and we, even when we're leading, you tend to expect an error, a self-inflicted damage, a mistake somehow. But what I saw yesterday was a crazy situation where the, the level of composure and comportment, how impressive was that? Especially defensively. I don't think we had a yellow card all game, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think Super Eagles had a yellow card all game which is quite impressive. You know, so what do you make of that? The level of composure and comportment, especially on the, on the back foot. Honestly, what's impressed me, look, first off, I, 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 I didn't expect um, to see such a dramatic change um, uh, in, in, in the Super Eagles from, from what I've been seeing. Of course, we, 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 all of us are aware that it's a different coach. All of us are aware that the man has a mandate, but like you said, I don't want to get carried away. Uh, but all the pre-game reviews, um, apart from, apart from, uh, I feel guy had, um, super good loyalists. It was mostly gloom and doom. The fear of Salah was, uh, was like for a lot of people, a lot of people, the, the beginning of the season. Um, but I always felt that it wasn't just about Salah. It's about how composed this North, most most North Africans and especially these Egyptians, how composed they are, um, especially in in, in, in in situations like this, and how they punish every little mistake that you make. So I wasn't expecting much from the I just I just wanted the goose just hold on, not to lose if possible, 
And if they are going to lose, don't get badly beaten so that we can get those and qualify second in the group. So for them, and then they scored. And they pressed me more. Because usually, when you take a, a lead in a game that you are, you are playing against someone that is better or you're at par with you, just like that, the pressure shifts onto you. And mm -hmm. then they, they, get, they get the upper hand and you're defending and then you hold on to, you know, in fact, I thought that the game would end 1-1. But, the most cool and sure that won that game by more than a goal. Yeah. That for me was impressive. Yes. The fact that even after scoring, they kept being on the front foot, they were comfortable, and that defense was something else. Salah didn't get a sniff. Yeah. None of the, none of the returns got a sniff. Maybe it was due to the information that somebody said, and I, I, I was, I read the story, um, uh, from, uh, from my, from, from a UK paper. What's, what someone said, uh, the comment, where someone said that, oh, the, the five, the five, five old formation was lumped into Salah and going for the best. <laughs> Honestly, the books are impressive. I don't know what a Gravoy did, uh, um, in, in that game. Uh, hopefully, it's not a one-off because really he has gotten really bad press. People, people, people tend to forget that he also won in bronze at that time yes. with the team he took that yeah. So he got a bad press. So hopefully this, I mean, I, and I, I don't, I, I don't think that he will get better because the, for me, the formation, the, 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 when I saw the team, I was like, oh, he left some players out that will have made the team. And you always make the point that yes. one of the things about Ben Gerardo was that you knew the team, you always knew the team was going to present. Some players were untouchable. That he was on the bench for a long time. That was shocking. But Simon started, look, it was, it was refreshing. It was different. The was impressed me long again, long may it continue. Okay, all right. Impressive start to the Nations Cup by the Super Eagles of Nigeria. We're not getting carried away. Um, there's still a lot to play for, a long way to go. Hopefully, like personally, I predicted a 1-1 draw yesterday. I was on national TV. I, I predicted 1-1, but I'm happy that my prediction was wrong, that the team won, but like we said, one step at a time. Uh, let's see how it goes. Let's see how far Eguavon would go. And it brings me to our next topic about uh, our new, um, well, has it been signed? Well, he has been announced. The new coach of the Super Eagles. Somebody asked me a question on TV yesterday. And my I'll tell you my answer. The question was, we're not getting carried away. We're not getting ahead of ourselves. But what if Eguavon goes on to win the Nations Cup? What happens to Phoenix Pesero Adventure? <laughs> and my answer was, well, as far as I'm concerned, that's done and dusted. If Eguavon likes, let him win two Afcons in one competition, the Portuguese coach has been signed, sealed, and he will be delivered. I don't know whether I'm right or wrong. But, Yemi, what's your take on that? Because you see, it seems to me as their mind has been made up. The, and to be fair, they told Eguavon, you are an interim coach. So he knows he's only there for the short haul. But let's just assume, we're not trying to be too optimistic, let's just assume that. What if Eguavon wins the Nations Cup. What happens then? It's a, it's a rhetorical question, but it's a very interesting one as, as well. Hmm. That's a tough call. Hmm. And look, let's now look at it this way. Eguavon wins the Nations Cup. Of course, he returns his position as technical director of the NFF. And uh, is it Pacero? Pesero. Pesero. Pesero takes over 
First and foremost, you know, yes, it's been announced, but we don't know if he signed up the contract. But I believe that you know, for them to announce, they must have gone into some point of agreement. Yeah. And maybe he signed off some particular paper. So it means that two things. Is that we're ready to bite the bullet with respect to compensation. If mm-hmm. we decide not to go with him again, because uh, we decided to go with the government. And, and, and we're only in this situation because of the inefficiency of the NFF. Why am I saying so? After the last World Cup qualifier, we took about a month before we finally fired Gennett Raw. And in that one month period that we were waiting to fire Gennett Raw, we made a decision on who was going to replace him. Instead, we went for the interim, interim went the interim rule and eventually now announced this guy. Now, a more efficient federation would, at the moment where they're discussing with, you know, disengaging general, would have been talking to whoever it is they wanted to engage. And by the time they fire the existing coach or the present coach, they just appoint the new one. And everything just goes seamless. seamless. Mm-hmm. But because I deal with a very inefficient NFF, we are faced with this huge conundrum that if for any reason, and of course, the team already looks impressive enough to go all the way because out of all the teams that have played so far, Nigeria looks like the more, the most impressive team in the competition thus far. I think what will happen because of our affinity for anything foreign, we will stick with Okusero. Okay. I don't know what Body feels about sticking with him in case of Guavon, but even if Guavon doesn't win, if the performances continue and it's it takes a lot for you to win a title. You might, you might be unlucky. You might not make a mistake and lose, but still the performance might be good. But my anger about this whole appointment has to do with the the ingenious. Is that the correct word? Is the no? That's too nice a word. Is the ridiculous way that NFF President Amadjupini tries to fool everybody by pretending that the appointment of coaches has a it, it, it's not a personal thing from him. It's a broad-based discussion with his other board members. I remember the signing of uh, African Pep Guardiola. Suddenly, we saw Pinnick in the London Hotel, where he said, came out, where he was announced a national team coach. Some of the things he said about Pesero, he said about Genot Raw. And then this Pesero situation, his name was filtered out about two weeks before his appointment. Then Pini comes out and tells us, oh, we're actually talking to three different people, blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, they walked their way right to their answer. You know, and then Pesero was like, trying to... The bottom line is that we're not fools. I, My worry is not about these guys. My worry is the point, how do we ar- arrive at this appointment? To me, it seems as if it's one man and one man only that decides who becomes a coach. I don't think it's his poor view. Because he's not a member of the technical committee, it should take. And that's why I call this Phoenix Pesero adventure. He is the one that decides who becomes national team coach. And this is the third time this kind of thing is happening. And all the shenanigans of trying to fool us as if 
a, a due process was followed is annoying. Well, first of the emperor had said <laughs> <laughs> the emperor. The emperor had said that as long as he's president of the NFA, Nigeria will not coach the Super Eagles. Oh, he said that? Especially after... Oh, again, he said it after all he said. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. He said, as long as he's... Nigeria will not coach the Super Eagles again. He said that. Um, I think we arrived... We, we, we arrived at a gravoin because there's nowhere else to go. Okay. And I think we are that we are going. And I think that was what led to, uh, 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 led to what taking so long between the time that we felt it was gone and the time that he left. It was that there was nobody that could be used to replace him immediately. And I guess the emperor didn't want to all go to the nation's cup. And so, there needs to be some, some, there to be somebody in charge. Now, everything that yourself and Yenya discussed earlier about if a government should win nation's cup, the fact is that a government is not meant to, if a government, like you said, if a government, like, let him win the World Cup, during the nation's cup, there is no way appointed to go beyond what are uh, about uh, beyond what has been what has been applied. Look, we are upset about about the process. Well, the people who also came out and said that they are not that they are not they are not, uh, they are not uh, consulted. They uh, are not involved, and that they are not at any meeting. I don't know if you are upset. I don't know how, what they should feel. But here, 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 here is the thing, DG. We are at this situation where someone has told us plainly what he wants to do. That is a situation where for almost two or three years, after we all felt that Raw had done the best that he could for Nigeria, we kept selling excuses for the man. And like you said over the years, over time again, I don't think there's any Nigerian dead or alive that will have gotten the same mileage that Raw uh, only on the songs there got when it was in charge of survival goods. It got away with so much and we all followed because the emperor wanted this to. So now we, are, now, now we have this, uh, we have this uh, government station. And what bothers me, what troubles me is that, that statement that was, uh, um, that was put in, 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 in his appointment that, oh, we have appointed Pesero a government took us to the Nations Cup, and as soon as the Nations Cup is over, a government become Pesero's boss. Seriously? <laughs> on paper or in real life? <laughs> For me, it is that statement that rankles. That's that thing that is meant to. Uh, uh, so, oh, a government has won the Nations Cup. No worry, you are still the boss. It's Pesero's boss. He's still in charge. It will contribute. It's not going to happen. So it is that statement that annoys me. That says, okay, you know what? If you people, okay, good relations, but people, if you miss it. And oh, by the way, you are doing what you want. And Nigeria is still the boss of the sale. 
for me, that means that would I say if you want Nigeria like this, this Nigeria. But me, I want to that this friend I bought it will be the game is unending. The game is unending. It is like you know what? I wish I grab one the best. And I pray that it goes one better than bronze. Even if he if, if doesn't win the tournament, how he gets to the final? So we, can, so we can keep pushing. I understand all the noise about how, how a Nigerian coach cannot handle the, the people that, that are, that are, that are arguing that so Nigerian coach uh, uh, takes bribes, which is not proven, and which also, from what we have seen so far, all coaches, the same person that are not Nigerian, they get involved in shady deals because, because agents seem to be running the market now. But I, I, I wish that Guavoy will just go ahead, do him, do well with Super Ghost, and let, let us keep this, this conversation going because I, I feel that it's the same argument, DG. I don't think a foreigner can have the same passion for the Super Ghost as that Nigeria will do. I do, I, do, I do know Nigeria will not get the, the same respect that the foreigner will get from people who are running the NFF now. But still, the Pesero and Gravon situation is messy because of the way the affairs have been, have been conducted and because of this, and because of the decisions that, that have been taken even before the man started the, his interim job. It's as simple as that. Okay, buddy. Um, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I mean, let's focus on the man Pesero now. Um, a bit of background about him and all of that. What do you expect? What should we expect? Uh, from him, given his antecedents, his records, and all that, um, what can he do for us differently than we've not seen before? Maybe there is a case to be made from your perspective of the man. First and foremost, my first issue is that I believe that when we're appointing managers or coaches in 2022, it should be with a thought process in mind that this is the direction we want our football to go. To go, yeah. So we're, we're scaling our football from the development stage all the way to the super egos to follow a particular path, a particular pattern. Now, what do we expect from Pesero? We expect that I think the man will be comfortable with us owing him money <laughs> because obviously he's been in charge, he was in charge of Venezuela and they owed him for one year. So, we have that track record also. So it ticks that, that box. It ticks that box comfortably. <laughs> now, if it's coming from the Portuguese, you know, school of thought or school of football or what have you, we can expect to play good attacking football. Quote and unquote. Because yes, we do know that there are other Portuguese managers who are more defensively inclined. Um, he's been manager of sporting. He's managed Porto. He's managed uh, Saudi Arabia. So he has decent experience both on the club side and on, on and international football. So we have somewhat of a good balance. Um, it will be interesting to see what his style will be. We've Nigeria has evolved over the years to play multiple styles, multiple formations. We've played three at the back. We've played four two three one. We've played four three three. We've played four four two. If we try to see what his approach will be like, what formation and what tactical approach he would um, love to embrace, um, it would also be nice to see if his 
approach to call-ups will be different from his predecessor. And when I'm saying predecessor, I'm talking Kenan Raw. It'll be interesting to see if his approach will be different. It would also be interesting to see if he would be willing to go around the country and watch our local football. That would be interesting. Um, because whether I like it or not, talent has never been our problem. Whether on the home front or from diaspora or those playing abroad, talent has never been a problem. So I do feel that it'd be interesting to see if he would embrace the MPFL and uh, give the players coming out from that league an opportunity. So those are just a few things that I'll be looking forward to from Pusher. Um, buddy, um, looking through down the years, our uh, history of um, foreign vis-a-vis local coaches, can we actually say, going back in time now, let us go back to as old as you are or as old as your footballing knowledge is, can we actually say that the foreign coaches have been better in terms of results and outputs? Is that a, an argument we can make? Have they been that much better than the local coaches? And when people talk against the local coaches, what's the case they have against the local coaches beyond the pure sentiments of, oh, the, let's look at the local coaches in terms of tactics and outputs and all of that. Have the foreign coaches been necessarily better in your view? I don't think the foreign coaches have been necessarily better um, because everything that a foreign coach has, has done for the Super Bowls, a Nigerian coach has also done. And the foreign coach has won the Nations Cup. Or rather, two foreign coaches have won the Nations Cup, and the Nigerian coach has won the Nations Cup. The World Cup second round, same thing, uh, same thing, same thing, uh, both ways. And I, I, I do not think that the Nigerian coaches have achieved more under more difficult circumstances. For instance, uh, the much vilified Onimide. When we talk about Onimide, they talk about the 2002 World Cup, um, uh, where the Goose uh, uh, were, were knocked out in, in the first round and, and the tactics in quotes. But the fact was that Onimide came to inspire Goose during a crisis. A crisis that he had to manage and which he did to the best of his abilities. The same, the same thing with his, with his uh, team to the, to the 1984 uh, Nations Cup. Whenever that team lost the first game 5 1 to eventual winners. 1990. Sorry, Algeria. 1990, uh, yeah. Nations Cup, rather. 84 was, uh, was recent stars. Uh, 1990. Uh, where they lost eventual winners on Algeria. Algeria yeah. Also remember that he went, he came when, when the team was in a crisis and they still managed to get to the final. In that it lost, yeah. uh, lost by, by uh, a slim margin. Look at the circumstances under which Keshi won the Nations Cup in 2013. Even before he went to the Nations Cup, there's a lot of talk about him getting sacked. I remember the late Dijitinubu saying that the day before, before the game against, um, against Ivory Coast. Yeah. The game that he won clearly with better tactics. There was talk that as soon as the Nigeria, Nigeria, uh, uh, lose that game against, against, uh, against Ivory Coast, he will be sacked. And I remember him saying before the final that he was, he was ready to resign as soon as the, um, the, the so look, Nigerian coaches 
perform under a lot of pressure. Uh, because of the disrespect, disrespect from our administrations, because of back talk and second guessing from, uh, from, uh, from, 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 uh, from, from, uh, from both fans back home and some sections of the media. And so for me, given what Nigerian coaches go through when they handle the spy goals, I think they have delivered more. Put for pound for pound for, uh, for for what they are paid for the for the things that they go through, and I, 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 I don't think they get enough time also to showcase what they can do, because for every foreigner that has done something worthwhile with Super Goose, they've had far more time, far more support, and they've had far more money. So f- for my money, like they say in, in, in boxing, pound for pound, Nigerian coaches have been better. Okay, as we wrap this up now, Yemi. Uh, we continue to watch the Super Eagles at AFCON. Wish them all the best. Which direction, whichever hap- whatever happens at the Nations Cup, hopefully the World Cup situation will be sorted out. In which direction would you personally like to see Nigerian football maybe post-Pinic? Because I, I want to believe that Pinic is in the off. Well, we are hearing all kinds of shenanigans about the possible third term. We don't know what that, that's going to happen, but assuming that Pinnick leaves 2022 this year, what direction would you like to see that draft football post Pinnick? I'd like to see us go back to the basics, have a proper development plan from grassroots to, to age group to, to super egos and not the other way around. Um, I'd like us to pay more attention to our domestic football and then if for any reason Egovon goes back to being, you know, technical director, they need to create a blueprint on how our national teams will play and how they will develop. So you know that from under, from future Eagles under 15s, mm-hmm. this is how Nigeria plays, or this is how Nigeria will play. And that goes from there to under 17 to under 21 to the Super Eagles. And same in the women's game. I want to see that because we've gone We've thrown that out of the door. Why? Under Pinnick, we've been terrible in age-grade competitions. We haven't done well at all. It would be good to go back to doing that. Of course, also a bit of investment in grassroots and school sports, school football. Uh, I think that is, those are the things I would love to see. I'm post-Pinnick. I'm smiling <laughs> because I'm thinking, hypothetically, if Eguavon wins the Nations Cup, that would be Phoenix third term poster event. That that is that is what is going to use to drag ahead in third term. So it works both ways, <laughs> you know. Also, on that note, let's end that topic. We wish Pesero all the best. We wish Phoenix all the best. Uh, we wish the Super Eagles all the best at uh, the Nations Cup. Good start. Long may it continue, like Body said. An event is due to start on the seventeenth. It's the, one of the biggest tennis events on the, on the, in the world. That's the Australian Open. But that Australian Open has been overshadowed by something that has turned into a diplomatic debacle. You know, houndings and accusations and counter accusations between Australia and Serbia. It's the Nova Djokovic visa situation. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe we'll put it this way. Let me let you set the tone. What exactly happened with this Novak Djokovic uh, uh, exemption, 
visa exemption to enter Australia. Then he got to the airport. Border patrol asked him questions and all that. Um, they denied him entry. He was um, detained. He appealed the decision. The judge quashed it. Now we are hearing that he may have falsified documents in his uh, in his form. So there are still grounds to expel him. We don't know what's going to happen. So can you set the tone for us? What exactly happened that it degenerated into such a an undignifying debacle? <laughs> I like that. Undignifying debacle. Uh, first of all, because of the pandemic, Australia has been under lockdown. They've had series of lockdowns mm. uh, because of numbers kept spiking and they're having to try to manage it. So even with respect to a lot of the sporting activities that have happened in the country, they've been very strict uh, restrictions, you know, for people coming into the country. So from the ashes to the, uh, even to the Australian Grand Prix at some point, you know, to all the different competitions that happened in Australia, they've been very strict with immigration, with people coming to the country. Now, for some reason, somebody had an ingenious idea to quote unquote grant Novak Djokovic an exemption, despite the fact that he's unvaccinated. He hasn't been vaccinated. And I think there's a rule in Australia along the lines of that you have to be vaccinated before you're able to participate in in, in any of the major competitions that happen in Australia. So some, some genius decided to grant him exception. Now, he gets into Australia and of course, they're wondering, why does this guy have an exception? On what grounds does he have an exception? Especially considering that I think he had tested positive twice mm. for the virus. So they felt, look, why should this guy have an exception? Then there was a public uproar. So people in, the Australian people went up in arms and were like, why are we doing this? Why are we allowing this guy coming to the country without, you know, due process and all that? And of course, if you, there's a series on TV, Border Control, and <laughs> Australia that. features mm-hmm. heavily in that. Yeah. And they are very, very strict when it comes to entering their country. So I think that came to the fore. They found some discrepancies and decided to hold you know, in detention for not, you know, following due process and getting an exemption that they thought was not deserved. So that matters, Jerita, because for Djokovic, he probably feels, look, I have my status as the top tennis player in the world. Like every celebrity, they want to enjoy certain privileges. And he feels that that privilege that he struggled, he deserves to enjoy that privilege as current Australian Open champion, his defending champion, world number one, and seeking to win his 21st uh, Grand, Grand Slam. So, that has come full circle. Now, he's also sought redress in the courts, but now, with more evidence from social media pictures, from his the forms that he has he, he filled, show that a lot of discrepancies, you know, exist with the story that he has told. And the Australians are not, they're putting their foot down. Mm-hmm. But the Serbians on the other hand have then turned okay. into something else and making yeah. a matter out of a moment. But uh, what do you make of the, uh, well, I can understand Djokovic's parents' uh, passion for their son. I can understand their, you know, emotional outburst and anger at it. But what do you make of the situation where the Serbian Government is trying to see this as some kind of political persecution because my question is why would Australia 
Uh, he, he pays Australia for Djokovic to be in there because he's a big office draw and the Australian Open is one of their favorite tournaments. Why would, why are we tr- trying to turn this into a political thing? Like, I, I, I personally, I don't know whether, I think the Serbians went, have gone overboard. They've tried to turn this into like a political warfare between two countries. And also, why do you think Djokovic tends to cut controversy? It's happening because the other time, he, I think it was in 2020, he caught COVID after he had a tournament where he they were not wearing masks, they were backslapping and all of that. He tends to cut a bit of negative controversy. What do you make of all that? First off, I think uh, what the Serbian government is doing is what governments do. Um, you know that uh, post-COVID, a lot of nations are going through different stuff. Some political, some political, some, some economic. So anything that will that will take attention away from the problems at home, most governments will latch on to. Um, something to something to unite the to distract behind the government. Exactly. I think what what what, what they are doing is simple political games gamesmanship. Uh, because as much as I love Novak uh, Djokovic, look, the mistake he made was tweeting that he I'm in. Even without that tweet, already there was there was there, there, there was an uprising. Um, uh, there was a growing swell of 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 uh, of of, um, of of dissent against his, against his being in the country. Now for him to now have it's just like rubbing salt in the wound. But as far as Serbia is concerned, all they are doing is trying to unite the people behind the course uh, uh, to 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 cushion whatever it is that they are facing at home. For the Australian government, I think they have a right to decide who comes into or who leaves their country. So it's as simple as that. Um, yeah, me because you know, even in um, you know, I was having a discussion with somebody, and I, I was like, look, every the fact that you have a visa, people need to understand that doesn't guarantee entry. Nope. When you get to the visa, when you get to the entry point, the border officer or the immigration officer will question you and if he's not convinced that you are there or you have not met certain criteria, he can turn you down. But they said it's sports stars, celebrities tend to feel they have special privileges. Even in West Africa, you can't go to Ghana for a long time. You can't go to Ghana without the is it yellow yellow card. You know, so yeah. At, the, yeah at the end of the day, yeah, I mean, do you get the feeling that there's a sense of entitlement that comes with celebrities? And um, stars that they feel and certain things, but we are in a medical emergency, and I honestly feel that Djokovic needed to have been a bit more circumspect, like Buddy said. Yes, there to be a bit of uh, maturity on his side and understanding why Australia put those stringent regulations. Um, I also think it's actually a bit irresponsible on his part mm. that he's not vaccinated. But then they say that's a choice uh, because of the controversies surrounding the vaccine and whatever. But I think knowing that you're going to have access to other people and you've also caught the virus before, that is itself you put you in a position to say, look, I think I need to be extra careful. I need to take certain precautions you know, before going to play this tournament. Now, this, you're talking about somebody that tried to form a breakaway 
glee. So mm. he's he's sown seeds of discord a lot. So it's like his water, his cup was already full. And obviously the frustration around the Chinese world with him is just coming to a head. So I feel that if he does love the sport as much as he claims, he should forget about those privileges and try to do the right thing. Right thing being follow the rules and regulation, try to get vaccinated, and then just so like because like it or not, the likes of Wimbledon, French Open, US Open, they're all watching. Mm. And it's going to be critical. Whatever happens in Australia determine some of the restrictions and regulations that will put in place in the other countries. He's on slabs. 20 and he wants to get 21. I hope he doesn't bungle the opportunity by this uh, vaccination of his starting. But buddy, uh, as we run up now, um, Kyrie Ivan, uh, Novak Djokovic, two mega stars who quote unquote, I think refuse to be vaccinated. Um, do you, do you get the impression that sports stars, I think need to know because when people talk about choice, 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 it's not your choice or my choice whether I want to pay taxes. We, we must pay taxes. When we're growing up or uh, is a rule in most countries, children must get vaccinated for a lot of, uh, um, diseases, measles, polio, and all of that. So I know is a is a an um in an era of political. I mean, sorry, uh, disinformation and misinformation and all of that. So what's this thing about people suddenly beginning beginning to feel that it's my choice, my choice? But meanwhile, there are so many other things where our choice is taken away by rules. Look, sometimes, yeah. As much as you have choices, you also got to consider other people. Yeah. Like, uh, like, uh, like, let pointed out, if you've been infected twice, and you're going to a place where they are managed to keep, uh, this, this, uh, they are, they are battling to keep this infection low, and they have measures in, they have put measures in place. You can't go there and make a new choice. You, you, you just stay in your house. If you know you don't want to follow the rules, as simple as look, a lot of sports stars too talk about choices. They forget that if you are feeding off public admission, because whatever it is that you are earning, whatever it is that put on that pedestal came from uh, came from the masses and their contributions to your popularity. Sometimes it is your hard earned money, um, uh, given that they purchase power that adds to your net worth. You can't see you have choices. You are slave to whatever it is that has built you up. And so when they say, oh, because I'm big, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm different. Because you are big, you are, your, 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 your size is what enshrines you as a part of the herd. Maybe at a different level, but yes, you are, you, are, you, are, you are standing on something. And you should give out what you are standing on. So for me, that, 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 that's why that's why a lot of these bastards get it wrong. Your superstardom confers some responsibility on you mm. to make the right choices, mm. choices that choices that is good mm. for the people. Because you're a role model, people are going to look up to you. And if the message you are sending will cause, uh, will cause the system to collapse or be split in two, and then you are liable, you are, you are liable to participate. You are responsible for whatever it is that happens to you. I think the Australian government. Um, well, I don't know how this is going to pan out, but I suspect very strongly. That getting the political feel in Australia, you hear me? And especially in light of the information that's come out, IPS has, he has, uh, he falsified information on in some of his forms. It's going to be very difficult 
for the Australian government to look their people in the face and allow Djokovic in. So my take, I may be wrong because I, I, the decision might come before you get to hear this podcast. I get the feeling that he may uh, be expelled from the country. But let's look at both scenarios now. If indeed, one, he's allowed in to play, what does that do for him personally? But and two, if he's disallowed, if he's expelled from the country, what does that do? Quickly. First, if he's allowed, he's going to face a huge backlash from the Australian crowd. Yeah. Um, definitely, definitely. Yes, he has very strong mental strength and all that, but he will suffer. We're even we're 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 hearing that they will have to beef up security if he's going to play. Oh, because yes. you expect there might be riots breaking out in the Oh, stand. yes. Oh, yes. Now, the flip side of him not attending is probably take a bit of a shine of the Australian Open is world number one. But would that have laid the marker? Of course, I need the marker for even other the other, other yeah. You know, uh, we'll take a shine off the competition, French champion, world number one, uh, and it will also probably change the entire course of the season potentially. Mm. So, whichever one it is that they choose to do, and note, it might also affect the Australian Open as a competition, as a brand, mm. yeah, going forward. Because look, well, like we're not, we're going to have to live with this COVID. Situation. Well, like, so, what happens next year? Mm. We don't know where we will be. We don't know what the situation will be. So, it also shines a, a bit of a, probably a Spotlight. dim light mm. on the Australian Open. But if you mentioned something that, one word that I, I, I want us to close on, and maybe you'll expand on that, is, is the word responsibility. You know, no matter, we, we all have personal choices and personal, um, wishes. But when you're in a position of responsibility and when your actions has an impact on other people, it, it, it then uh, your thinking should not be about you, you, and you. And I think that's where I, I, I agree with you on that point that sports stars, a lot of them feel entitled. A lot of them feel um, they should be excused from certain things. Not one failing to realize that your, the adulation and popularity you enjoy comes from the fans comes from the people that made you what you are. On your own, you wouldn't be there. So, what would you say to um, the situation about sports stars and responsibility they owe the world? It's it's simple and straightforward. Unfortunately, most of these guys, like you said, um, they they are not schooled enough um, before they get to the season, that's why I like what the NBA does with his, uh, with his, uh, with his rookies. They give them a crash course on, on life and the expectations that is from them. Um, I, I have, uh, I have, um, the story of, um, of a Nigerian, uh, uh, sorry, a, a lad with a Nigerian father. When he was drafted, after his crash course, he called his dad, he said, he said, daddy, is that is that is that I said, look, whatever it is that you have been doing in the past, you've got to stop now. Because I'm at this level, you you uh, I'm 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 known as your son. We are so anything you do will impact on me. Mm. That I think is what a lot of these stars are missing. And I, I think that is that is what should be a part of I mean a curriculum. Young footballers, young 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 athletes, let them know that look, once you ascend this level, your life is no longer your own. Mm. Not, look, no matter which way you look at it, 
with the, the amount of money and with the amount of lives you are getting, it uh, comes with certain duties. Okay. That's what it is. That, that's what it, you know. So, I mean, they, that has just to be. Okay, buddy. Thank you. We have run out of time. We have to go now. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Episode one, season three of Sports 360 Pod is where you can get us on Instagram. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back same time next week. Bye-bye.